So for, for those people who might be joining us for the first time, we just started doing this. Uh, last week was the first time where uh, we've been waiting on the Lord exclusively pretty much for many years, but kind of decided that we would change one of our meetings and um, and have, I, I'd start with a little bit of a teaching sharing time and then we'd have a, um, a kind of a discussion or a time for questions or, or whatever comes out uh, after that. And because I didn't really know exactly what to, didn't want to have to think about bringing something or thinking much about what I was going to be bringing to initiate the discussion. Um, let's see here. That's Joe. Joe, I'm muting your your audio. Okay. <clears throat> because I didn't really want to have to think about um, what what to think about or what to share about or whatever. I didn't want to have to come up with something different every week. We, we, a lot of us have read and have really benefited a lot from the writings of Isaac Pennington. And so I thought that we would maybe just kind of read through that, um, together, not, not out loud, but just on our own and just things that stuck out to me. Um, things that I feel like the Lord has opened my heart to see in a, in a measure of clarity or that I've experienced. Those would maybe be things that I would try to, open up as uh, things I'd share about on, on a Sunday uh, to, again, to, to share a little bit, to teach a little bit, but also to facilitate some some conversation afterwards. So um, I have this, I guess to get started this morning, um, this one a quote of his, it's actually at the very beginning of, I don't, I don't know how many of you guys are reading along, um, on your own, but in the, in the first chapter, he gives a couple autobiographical descriptions of, or he doesn't give a couple, a couple were found in his writings, and basically I put them at the beginning of the book. And, um, and <clears throat> one of them just starts off saying this, I've been a man of sorrows and affliction from my childhood, feeling a need of the Lord and mourning after him. I was separated by him from the love, nature, and spirit of this world and turned in spirit towards him almost ever since I can remember. In the sense of my lost state, I sought after the Lord. I read the scriptures. I watched over my own heart. I cried unto the Lord for what I felt the lack of. I blessed his name and what he mercifully did for me and bestowed upon me. Whatever I read in the scriptures as the way of God, according to my understanding, I gave myself to the faithful practice of being contented to meet with all the reproach, opposition, and several kinds of suffering, which it pleased the Lord to measure out to me therein. Now, he, he goes on to talk about how... Um, he begins by talking about his heart turning towards the Lord as a young child and continuing to reach after the, the Lord. He, he goes on to talk about how he missed his way a bunch of different ways, or not entirely missed it, but but went one way or another in, in uh, various um, forms of, of Christianity and for, for many years felt like there was more, felt like there was um, something beyond what he had known and experienced. At one point he talks about how I, 
I knew for certain that there had been a stop in the stream. <clears throat> and what he means by that, what he says he means by that is that that something had happened after the original uh, birth of the church to stop uh, the church from being the same thing that it once was. Something had stopped the flow. Something had, had interrupted, basically, so that uh, whereas many of them were clearly uh, experiencing not not just when I say power, I was about to say power, but when I say power, I'm not just talking about outward signs and wonders. I'm talking about the power of of a new life, power of a of a holy heart, power of uh, putting off sin, putting on a new man, walking in the spirit, uh, being conformed to the image of God. All of that that seemed to be a, a very real, discernible, experiential thing for the early church. Um, he he mentions that he couldn't help but read the New Testament and feel like there was a a stop in the stream, so to speak. And he wanted to understand why that was. And 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 again, I I don't really want have, want to have a whole lot to say about about that, or or really even about him, except that the thing that struck my heart as I was reading this this again was just the the importance of having a heart like that. You know, if if you have a heart that is, or you could say a will that is bent towards God, that is turned towards God, you can make all kinds of mistakes in the journey. You can misunderstand things. Uh, you can take a few scenic routes instead of the straight um, straightest path. But if your heart is bent like his was towards knowing the Lord, if if you're if you're feeling the lack of God in your heart, the lack of his life, the lack of his righteousness, the lack of his truth, the lack of his peace, and and if you if you're if you're willing enough to reach towards him, and I mean reach in your heart, I mean feel after him, seek after him, knock and ask, then no matter what path you may have to go to get there, the Lord knows how to lead a willing heart in the direction uh, of well of of the experience of his life and his nature and his love and his truth. I say that because you can start in all kinds of wrong places. You can start in all kinds of bad situations. In fact, everyone starts in some, even the people that have the best natural circumstances. Those people don't necessarily have really any, in fact, they oftentimes don't have just the opposite of advantages when it comes to real spiritual growth in life. Um, a lot of times, uh, pleasure contentment satisfaction with outward things is a real hindrance to to growth but what but what whether you're whether you grew up or, or started this journey with a lot of outward blessings or not or outward pains and trials or whatever or wrong ideas about god or or correct ideas about god either way anyway if the heart is bent towards the Lord and the will is willing to turn, like like his described his own in, in his early days, then I just I have found in my own life in my own heart, having also made many mistakes and taken a lot of um, I don't know long routes to get to to, to places that I, I could have probably got to a lot faster. It doesn't matter 
where we come from, if the heart is bent and turned and, and desirous and reaching and groping after the Lord, in that heart, the Lord can, can find us and meet us and teach us and correct us. And, and there's so many scriptures about this too, and I don't, I don't think we really um, take them very seriously. There, there are scriptures where Jesus says that anyone who asks will receive. Anyone who knocks, the door will be open. Anyone who seeks will find. And, and we read that and we don't, we don't, we, we kind of believe it because it's in the Bible, but we don't actually believe it, believe it because, um, we try, we, we think, well, we tried that. I asked one time or I asked 10 times and I didn't get what I asked for or whatever, but I don't think he's even talking about, uh, an asking that has to do with, or at least primarily, an asking that has to do with words, like what you'd say last Tuesday at four o'clock, I asked him and, and I didn't get anything. You know, I saw I sought after him and didn't find anything. There's a there's a seeking and there's an there's a a knocking and there's an asking that is it's not really something that's done as much as it is something that's lived, if, if you can hear what I mean by that, uh, there's so I just I'm just thinking of so many scriptures like John John 15 and 16. Jesus says I think like four times, "Ask anything in my name and it will be granted to you." And again, people say I asked for this thing in His name. I put His name at the end of my prayer and I asked it and I didn't get it. Or there's other scriptures like in James where He says, "You have not because you ask not." And and I guess to, to maybe just present these things before your hearts and present them before mine as well, um, it's good to ask ourselves and to be really honest with ourselves. It never does any good to, to not be really honest with ourselves, to ask ourselves what we really want. Or, or maybe it's even better if we're, if we're Christians to ask ourselves how much we really want the things that we say we want. Because the answer to that question in all of our in all of our lives is not there, there's no way to answer that question with words. The answer to that question is is lived. It's 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 your life. Your life is an answer to that question. It, it, it's a minute by minute answer. It's an hour by hour, day by day answer to the to the question what does your heart want your heart is always seeking it's always pursuing it never stops the only question is what is it seeking you could say it this way your heart is always knocking it's always it's always asking it's always seeking it's always it's always in a sense you could say praying although not necessarily to god it's always reaching after something and and your life is the manifestation of what you really are wanting. It it tells a it tells a um, it tells the story of your of your heart. And Jesus says in one place, out of the out, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. I think you could say even greater than that: out of the overflow of your heart, your hands act, and your uh, your day is full of that which your heart is longing after, and I, I just say that because, uh, 
the pointing of the heart is so important. And even again, I want to say this again, even if you start in such an unbelievable place of blindness, deadness, empty religion, formal religion, no religion, whether you start in happy times in the flesh or horrible times in the flesh, none of that is, well, I was going to say, none of that is insurmountable. Absolutely everything in, in that way can can not only be surmountable in your growth towards knowing God, but can be used by God as exactly what you need to um, to grow in the true knowledge and experience of Him. And so that was kind of like one thing that stood out to me, just the the pointing of His will in His early days and how in time not quickly, but in time it brought him to or allowed the Lord to bring him to a really a wonderful place where he, I feel like, has been so helpful to so many people and uh, to me, definitely. The other thing that really struck me in his, um, in this, in the first chapter was his discussion or his, his talking about the seed. He talks about, for those of you who read, he talks about how he saw it and reached and went to this group and that group and started this church and whatever. And, and then he finally found, um, it, it says, he said, he began to, how do, where do I start here? He talks about how he began to feel the dead quickened, the seed raised, insomuch that my heart in the certainty of light and clearness of truth and said, this is he, there is no other. This is whom I have waited for and sought after from my childhood, who was always near me and had often begotten life in my heart, but I knew him not distinctly, nor how to receive him, nor how to dwell with him. And then a little later he says, but some may desire to know what I have at last met with. I answer, I have met with the seed. That's what he says. I've met with the seed. And then he says this, this sentence, understand that word and you will be satisfied and inquire no further. Understand that word seed and you'll be satisfied and, and inquire no further. That's something maybe I wanted to say a few things about uh, this morning. That's a word, seed, that appears so frequently, starting right in the beginning of Genesis. <clears throat> and it's a, it's a word that has a lot of meaning, spiritual meaning to it. And to try to, under, to, try to describe why it's such an important, well, it's, it's just a word, but it describes a reality that is so important. And to, to try to describe why it's so important, I want to, back up a little bit and 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 um talk about the what it was man lost when when we when man fell in the beginning the the fall of man everything that man lost you know god said in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall surely die and he did eat and he and he surely did die he died he doesn't didn't die physically obviously he lived another 900 and something years but he 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 experienced a death that was more severe and more of a loss than the than the 
loss of a natural outward body. He, he lost everything that was everything that was heavenly, everything that was from above. He lost the life of God in his soul, and that was his death. And everything that man lost is was wrapped up or every, everything good that a man can experience, everything of righteousness, everything of peace, everything of love, everything of wisdom, everything that is good and true, as, as James says, has to come down from the Father of lights. It, it doesn't start in man. It comes down to man from above. And when man lost that life from above, when man died to that life from above, he lost everything that was in that life and that was working in his immortal soul. And he became, he, he was a mortal, I mean, not, he was an immortal soul. Sorry, I meant to say immortal. He was an immortal soul living in and by experiencing the life and power and goodness and, and truth and wisdom and beauty and all all that God was it, that that life of God was reigning in man. It was filling his soul. He was an individual person. He was an individual creation. But the nature and life and power that was working in him was not from him, but from above. And all of that was manifested through an outward body, where it was meant to be manifested in an outward body, where that 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 creature that God had made that. That, uh, that human being was to experience the inward glory and power and love and truth and righteousness of God and manifest it in, in, in a kingdom reigning over the outward, outward world. And, and he died to that. He lost that life and remained then uh, a empty immortal soul, empty of life, empty of, of light, empty of truth and, and living heavenly power. He, he became a, 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 a basically a living um, sense of lack in his inward man, a hunger, a thirst, an emptiness, a darkness, after he had lost the light and life of God. And then he began in that lack, in that feeling of incompleteness, unsatisfaction, hunger, thirst, darkness, longing. He began to then search for what he lost in the outward world. He began to look for it in the realm that he was only supposed to manifest the glory of God in. He began to look for it in the earth. And, it, and in doing so, his... His his relationship with the earth became, as James, as John says, uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That was never supposed to be his relationship with this earth, but it became his relationship with this earth when he lost the only thing that was true life and satisfaction and peace to his soul. And it, it, what I'm trying to say is, kind of wrapped up in that life was everything good. And apart from that life, there was nothing good. And that's why immediately after man falls, God says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, that every intent, he said, God saw that evil, man's evil was great in the earth and that every intent of every thought of his heart was only evil all the time. That, that um, 
that sentence is full of superlatives. It's full of incredible, strong descriptions of what man is apart from God. And that was manifest in the earth. And therefore, right after that, it says, and so the earth was filled with violence and, and filthiness and uncleanness. And men were living like beasts. And, and because that's what the fall is, what I'm trying to aim at here is that the whole desire of God since the fall of man has been to give back to man what man had lost. That's what God's trying to do. He's not just trying to forgive man for being, for having all of his thoughts and imaginations be only evil all the time. Because a lot of Christians focus just on, I just need to be forgiven, I need to be forgiven. Well, it's not all that God's trying to give you is just forgiveness for being evil. He's trying to actually give you back the thing that you lost. But the thing that God gives back to, to us is not a thing, really. It's a, it's, I mean, well, it's, it's a living thing. It's a, it's a life. Because that's what we lost. We died in the day we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We didn't just get confused. We didn't just do something bad and get spanked. We actually lost something that was a life. It was a living thing. And, and God has continually tried to and desired to give back to man the thing that, he, that, that we had lost. Now, when, you, when it comes to life, the only way that you can, you can cause life to be and, and everything around us proves this in a thousand little ways every day. But the only way to experience a life is through a birth. You can't just get life. You can't make life. You can't, you can't make a full-grown life. You, just, you have to experience a birth and a growth. It, I, was, I was reading, uh, one of my kids had like a, I guess it's like a science magazine or something. I'm like, it's like a creation thing. And it's talking about how people want to bring back or scientists are trying to bring back the woolly mammoth. I don't know if you guys have heard about that. They're like, they have woolly mammoth DNA and they're trying to bring back the species by uniting it with some elephant DNA and putting it inside of an elephant. And I, this is a weird analogy, but it's just, I thought about it because you can't just decide you want to get back a woolly mammoth and just make one or get one. You know, you have to somehow figure out a way to birth one. That's how you're going to get one back. And it has to come from the seed. It has to arise and grow uh, from from that seed. And in a strange, strangely similar way, all of the all of what God is trying to give back to man, everything that man lost, can only be found again in the birth and growth of a different seed. In a seed that isn't from flesh, it's not of flesh, it's not of the will of man or the blood, flesh and blood, it's not from that seed, it's a different kind of life that we lost, that's unfamiliar to man by nature. It's something that we don't know being born of a woman, it's something we don't, we don't have any experience of walking in the flesh, it's a different kind of life, it's a different nature altogether and it and it has to start if we're going to experience anything of it it has to start in us with uh, a seed it has to start with the beginning everything that's every plant every animal the life begins in a seed and that seed increases and it grows and the only chance that any 
uh, apple plant has of producing an apple is if the life of the seed grows and increases and is not not uh, hindered or choked out in the process of its growth. That's the only hope that any apple plant has of ever seeing an apple grow on it. The seed of the apple has to increase. And that is that is exactly why the scriptures begin from the very beginning talking about the the gift of God, the redemption of God, the salvation of God coming to man as a seed. It doesn't just come to man as something else. It's a birth because we lost a life. And it begins as all births do. It begins as a seed. And so right in Genesis 3, immediately after the fall, God begins to talk to Adam and Eve about the seed of the woman, which is a picture of Christ, or it's also called the bruiser of the serpent, <clears throat> a seed that would uh, bruise the head of the serpent and bring a redemption to fallen man. And then in after the, the flood and after the, um, the uh, Tower of Babel and various other manifestations of man's wickedness and man's attempts to with the Tower of Babel to, to climb up to heaven in that fleshly strength and unity that man was trying to create and God bringing that into confusion and division because that's, that's, what, um, well, that's what flesh always brings. But right after that, God chose this man, Abraham, and he began to talk to Abraham about his desire to give his people something that they had lost. He begins to talk to Abraham about giving, giving a people an inheritance, giving a people a blessing, giving a people a victory over their enemies. And, and he, he starts in Genesis chapter 12, and he goes all the way through all of God's dealings with Abraham, and then you see it again after Abraham too, and, and a lot of other stories, which I don't know that I'm going to have any time to get into. But um, all of his promises to Abraham, if you, if you go back and just read through Genesis, you'll see that God is always saying that they're in a seed. Now, now some translations, unfortunately, change that word to descendants. But the word is seed in Hebrew. And Paul makes a really big point of that, actually, in, Genesis, in um, Galatians and some people actually, change, some versions actually change the word to descendants in this verse too, which um, seems very strange to me. But he says, now to Abraham and to his seed, uh, Galatians 3.16, now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Why did God begin to talk to Abraham about a seed? Be the answer to that question, according to Paul here, and a whole bunch of other scriptures we could pull out if we had a little more time, but is that everything that God was trying to give back to man was rolled up and found in 
one seed. There was a blessing, but the blessing was only going to be experienced in that seed. That is to say, in that life given and growing in us that man had lost. There was, there was an inheritance, and yet that inheritance was only for the seed. And to show that that seed wasn't just a, a natural thing, a bloodline thing from Abraham. Christians get really confused about this issue today. But to show that he wasn't just talking about the natural bloodline of Abraham, but a spiritual bloodline, which is what Paul talks about in Romans and in Galatians God has, allows Abraham to have a birth after the flesh and a birth after the promise and says, see that birth after the flesh, Ishmael? That's not the one that my seed will be found in. It's this one over here that came out of the dead womb of Sarah. It's this one over here that came from the promise. It's this one over here that you waited for by faith. And then he does it again with, uh, with uh, um, Jacob and Esau. And, uh, um, well, yeah, first it's, yeah, Isaac and Ishmael, and then Jacob and Esau, right? And, and he, he, he continues to talk to Abraham and to Isaac, saying things, I wrote down some verses here. It says, Genesis twelve seven. unto your seed I will give this land. Genesis thirteen sixteen. your seed shall increase like the stars of the sky. Genesis sixteen ten. I will multiply thy seed exceedingly. Genesis seventeen seven. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you. Genesis twenty one. God said to Abraham, Let not it be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman, and all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Genesis 22, and thy seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. Uh, in thy seed, another one, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Genesis twenty-two eighteen. 18. Um, I have a whole bunch more scriptures here, but. I guess the thing that, I think the reason why Pennington said, what did I find? I found the seed. And if you understand that word, then you won't ask any more questions about it. And the reason I believe he said that is because everything is found in that seed. And that seed isn't, God testified of that seed through an outward seed in Israel in so many ways. All of God's dealings with outward Israel in the wilderness and in the promised land were all, all incredible pictures and types and shadows of what it meant to relate to God in that seed. But the real relationship and the real gift and the real coming back to what we have lost as humans is the birth and growth of a spiritual seed in us. If, if that is lacking from our Christianity, then, then everything is lacking. Why? Because everything of the inheritance is in that seed and the increase and the victory over the enemies is found in that seed. And the, and the blessings, all the blessings 
and promises made to Abraham and the fathers. Where are they? Where are they found? What what does Galatians say? A little further on, Galatians 3.19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. The seed is where we find the promises of God. The seed is where we find the life of God. And that word seed is, is Christ. It's not something other than Christ. It's Christ the seed. It's the, it's the, and, why, and why is it called a seed? Because it's the beginning. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the root, the beginning, the seed of the life of God in the soul of man, the very life that man lost. God desires to give man not just a religion, not just right beliefs, not just a place to go on Sundays, not not just ceremonies to, to keep. God desires to give to man the life that he lost, the light that he lost, all that was found and is only found in the life of the Son of God. And that begins in man as a seed. And that seed is our only hope. And it's for this very reason that so many of the parables, when Jesus came and began to describe the kingdom of God, how am I doing on time? When he began to describe the kingdom of God, so many of his parables, so much of what he said had to do with these seeds or these grain grain of mustard seed or, or a seed sown on so many different kinds of soil or in other uh, parables. It was still. He didn't use the word seed, but he used the 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 uh, analogies of of something very small that that grows or that has incredible worth. That if a man found it, he'd give anything for it. In one place, he says the kingdom of God is like a little pinch of leaven that's put into three measures of meal and it fills all three measures. In another one, he says it's like a mina that's given to someone and it has the potential and the purpose to increase. And you shouldn't ever just stick it in your pocket or bury it in the earth because that stops its increase. That doesn't let it fill and become the thing that it was given to you for. In another place, he says it's like this little pearl. It's worth everything or a treasure hidden in a field. Anyone that finds it, they, if they see what it really is, if they know what that seed really is, they'll sell everything to, to gain it. They'll sell anything and everything they have to possess it. And all of his parables talk about that, and many of them too, about increase and about growth and about 30, 60, 100 fold. And sometimes it grows up and gets choked out by weeds and sometimes it dries up because it doesn't have sun. And and sometimes there's tears growing up and mixing with it. And he has all kinds of of, uh, of, of parables that have to do with it. But But so many of them are comparing the kingdom of God, that is to say the reign of God, the power of God, the experience of his reign in the soul of man to something that starts with a seed. It's the giving back to man of all that man lost. I have a few. Let me just read a couple verses here. Romans 4.16, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end uh, to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that which is also of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So the the 
the promise is made sure to the seed and it's made sure to us in the seed. You see, it's not made sure to us as we walk in the flesh. If we continue to walk in the flesh, we're walking in that nature that doesn't experience the seed and therefore isn't experiencing the blessings and the promises and the inheritance. And But if we are learning to walk in Christ and abide in Christ and live by the life of Christ and submit to the light of Christ, then all that is in Christ and of Christ and by Christ and for Christ becomes the inheritance that we experience. And in that way, the inheritance is made sure to all who are of his seed. 1 Peter one twenty three, being born again, talking about uh, believers, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible seed by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. 1 John 3, the whole chapter of 1 John talks about really uh, abiding in that seed and, and, and coming to a place in our growth in that seed where we cease from sinning. Whoever is born of God, it says, does not commit sin for his seed remains or abides in him. His seed remains or abides in him. And so I'm going to wrap up here, but it's uh, just when I when I read that, and when he when he said, "I found the seed." What did you find? I was searching, I was looking, I was crying out to God. I went here, I went there. I listened to this low here, I listened to that low there, and and I I was I was unsatisfied. I was desperate. I was needing to find what my soul was longing after since my childhood. And when I found it, it was exactly what I'd been hoping was real and longing for and what was it it was a seed it was a seed and what is that seed well understand that word and you'll inquire no longer because in that seed just like god said to abraham and isaac and jacob just like god said to do you remember what what uh the story of joseph where all the people are, are starving. They're dying of hunger in the land. And, and, and Joseph, um, I think I actually wrote that verse, one of them here. Joseph says, tell you what, here's what I'll do. I'll buy you. You belong to me. And I'll give you, in exchange for your life, a seed. And by that seed, remember Joseph had had stored up all the seed in the grain houses during the seven years of plenty. And then all the people started experiencing the famine and they ran to Joseph and they said, give us life, we're dying. And he said, okay, you don't have any cattle left. You don't have any money. Here's what I'll do. I'll buy you. And in exchange for you, I'll give you seed. And then you'll live. And then the people rejoice and say, we belong to you. You've given us life. And in and, and Genesis forty-seven nineteen. Says the people come and say, "Wherefore shall we die before thy?" This is the King James. I'm not sure why I quoted this one, but "Wherefore shall the shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate." And then Joseph gives him each, gives them each. Uh, a measure of of this seed. It's the same thing that's happening there. Starving people, experiencing the famine of life in the flesh, in this natural 
world of unfulfilling shadows, outward things, coming to the one who the Lord has raised up and set at the right hand of Pharaoh, so to speak, in this story, and saying, listen, I, I will give you everything that I am if you'll just give me that seed. And, and, it's, and it's a seed, and I'll just end with this, it's a seed that we don't just get it and then, and then like the guy with the talent, put it in our pocket. We don't just hold on to it, put it in, hide it in the earth like the other guy did. It's a seed that then begins to desire to grow in man. It, it, it requires our care, our attention. It, it, it needs to be in an environment. It needs to find an environment in our hearts where there's, where there's not weeds and rocks and, and where a, the root can go low. And that's a whole other subject, you know, as to, as to what that means but it's not just a seed because I say this because a lot of Christianity talks about like um, getting saved or knowing Christ as it's just I got it. You know, I got a ticket to heaven or I got the thing. And it's not just the thing you get. It's a life. It's a seed that begins to grow and to fill and to reign in your heart. And that's the way that God gives back to man what man lost in the beginning.